I know that all of us have been alarmed and scared and worried about the violent protests and the rioting and the looting that has taken place in recent weeks. And, and when you see all of that, you might ask the question, what does that all mean anyway? What's, what does, what's the consequence of that? How will this impact our lives? What about our children's lives? What about our grandchildren's lives? How is all this, what does this mean for us? And I think those are good, reasonable questions to ask. The answers to them are somewhat difficult. But I would offer this observation from Daniel chapter 5 verse 2, which says, God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomsoever he will. In the course of all kinds of turmoil, never forget that God is still in control. And I think as the people of God, we can be comforted by that understanding. But that question, what does this all mean anyway? What, do, what will this lead to? I want to apply that question to something completely different and unrelated. I want us to apply that question, what does it mean to an historical event that has truly eternal consequences? I want to ask this morning, what does the resurrection of Jesus mean And in particular, what does it mean for you and me? What, what, did, what did it lead to? What's the consequence? What's the outcome of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead? We want to spend a few minutes this morning looking to that question and seeking some answers for it. As I think we look at the ultimately important event in all of human history. What's happening in our world, in our country, in our locations today? Maybe a little bit scary, but... All of these things don't hold a candle in comparison to the resurrection of Jesus and its impacts. And so the question for study this hour is, what does the resurrection of Jesus mean for you and me? Before we dive into that study, we stop just briefly to add words of welcome to those that have already been extended. We're glad that you are here. Thanks for coming. We have a beautiful, though very hot, Lord's Day in Middle Tennessee, uh, but we are blessed to be able to assemble together in this nice air-conditioned space. And, and so we, you know, I, I, I'm looking around and I don't see a single one of those funeral home fans that used to be so prevalent in assemblies when, when some of us were younger, before the days of air conditioning. Everybody would be fanning, the windows would be open, flies would be swarming around. Man, how much better it is. Thanks for being here to be a part of this today. And to our many visitors today, we thank you for coming and hope you'll come back every time that you have a chance. All right. Now, we're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus for a few minutes. But what we are not going to do is we're not going to deal with the evidence that Jesus was resurrected. Now, the evidence of that, we've studied that lots of times in the past, and we'll study it a lot of times in the future because it's very important evidence. Evidence of the resurrection is abundant. Evidence that Jesus rose from the grave is overwhelming. And we'll just make that observation this morning without diving into the evidence. We're not going to talk about the evidence that it happened, though we are fully convinced that the evidence supports it without question. Jesus most certainly did raise from the dead. And so... What we're going to do today, though, is to talk about not the proof that it happened, because we believe clearly that it did, but we're going to talk about the results. What does it mean to us? And I suggest to you that the resurrection of Jesus Christ means a number of important things to us. First of all, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead proves that he is who he claimed to be. Jesus 
claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed to be the only begotten Son of God. Uh, he, 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 he claimed to be the promised one that had been pre- prophesied about for centuries. But I tell you, there have been a lot of imposters along that line. Jesus claimed that he was the Son of God, the Messiah. But there, there have been lots of imposters who've come along through the years. Uh, for instance, does the name Brian David Mitchell mean anything to you? Probably not. I had to look it up. But he was the fella who kidnapped Elizabeth Smart back in 2002. And so almost 20 years ago, that was a big news story about this kidnapping of Elizabeth Smart. This guy, uh, Brian David Mitchell, was the fellow who committed that crime. He is now serving a life sentence. But did you know that he was such a deranged person that he claimed to be the Messiah? He claimed to be the Son of God. He was obviously crazy, but he just won. There are dozens of people who through the centuries have claimed that actually going all the way back to the first century. Just recently in our Wednesday night study, we talked about Simon the Sorcerer in Acts chapter 8. If you read about him in literature, you might read about him being referred to as Simon Magus or Simon the Magician. But did you remember in our study in Acts chapter 8, he was giving out that he himself was some great one. And so most commentators suggest that Simon the sorcerer was claiming to be the Messiah. Uh, That's that's just an illustration. There have been plenty of people who've made that claim. Was Jesus just one of those? Was Jesus just one of the people who through the history have claimed to be special in this sense? Of course, our answer is an emphatic no. How how, How can we be sure that Jesus is who he claimed to be? Well, first of all, Jesus provided proof of his identity by virtue of all kinds of miracles which he performed. As we study the life of Jesus, we're just repeatedly talking about miracles that he performed here and there in different places and in different ways, different kinds of miracles. And it's interesting that even his enemies had to admit that he worked miracles. Notice here in John 11, verse 47, beginning, Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? Notice, For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. These are the people, these are the very people who would ultimately cause Jesus to be crucified on the cross of Calvary that we just sang about. But even they had to admit that Jesus was doing miracles. There's no doubt that Jesus performed miracles. But I want to tell you, Jesus wasn't the only one in those times who performed miracles. There were, there were a number of others, plenty of others. For instance, just again referencing our studies in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Jesus wasn't the only one who worked miracles. Stephen worked miracles. In Acts 8, verse 6, all, and the people of one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Philip did miracles. Jesus wasn't unique in that. In Acts chapter 19, verse 11, it says, God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. Paul did miracles. And we could add to that list. Plenty of people did miracles. Jesus did, Jesus did miracles. Okay. Plenty of people did miracles. So why is Jesus different than Stephen or Philip or Paul or any of the others who did miracles in that time? Why is he different? I think that Paul answers that for us in Romans chapter 1, 
beginning verse 3, Jesus Christ our Lord declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. None of those others that we mentioned could claim this. This was the ultimate sign that Jesus was the Son of God. The other miracles are valuable proof, no doubt about that. But the resurrection is the ultimate proof that Jesus is the Son of God. So I believe that we can be absolutely confident. In, in the face of dozens of people through the centuries who claimed to be the Messiah, all of them fakes and phonies and frauds, but Jesus lays a legitimate claim to that and the resurrection proves that it was a true claim that he really is and was the, the Son of God. I'd suggest to you that the resurrection of Jesus also points out that God's enemies labored in vain. Uh, there are and always have been forces of evil at work in the world. I'm not telling you anything there that you don't already know. There's plenty of forces of evil at work. There, there were in times past, there, there were in the first century when Jesus lived. They are now forces of evil. But we, un, we need to understand that God's power is greater than all those forces of evil, and the resurrection proves that to us. Some of the most, I, I suppose, the actual most powerful forces in the world tried to destroy Jesus. There were powerful political enemies and religious enemies of Jesus. But Satan himself, of course, behind all of that, they tried to destroy Jesus, but all those enemies failed because Jesus resurrected from the dead. In the reading that was read by Kyle just earlier, notice in Colossians 2, verse 13, you who, are dead in tre- you who were dead in trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God hath made alive together with him. So get this. When he says God hath made alive together, he's made us alive together. That's a reference to the resurrection, okay? So you who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God hath made to get, made alive together with him. So this is a reference to the resurrection, right? Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. He put them to open shame, triumphing over them in him. And so one of the things, one of the takeaways that we have concerning the resurrection is that that God's enemies, Jesus' enemies, failed. They were not able to stop him from accomplishing what he came to do. And that's really important and very significant to us. I would suggest to you that the resurrection of Jesus also proves that our faith is not futile. Have you ever wondered, have you ever just stopped to wonder... I've been doing this for a while. For some of us, we've been doing this our whole lives long. Uh, our, our parents carried us to church services. Probably the first place we ever went when we were baby in arms was to church services. Now, that's not true for all of you, but it's true for me and a number of others are in that same category. My parents, my grandparents before them, and I think my great-grandparents before them were faithful New Testament Christians. And so we've just been doing this. I mean, this is what we've been doing. We've been doing it for a long time. Is it possible that this is all a fraud? Is it possible that we have been deceived in this whole business? That it's not really what it claims to be. It's not true. It's just a, it's just a 
pretense. Again, our answer to that has to be absolutely not. This is not false. This is true. Our faith is valuable. It's legitimate. Notice that the Apostle Paul seemed to have dealt with that sort of doubt in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So don't feel bad if you've ever wondered about that a little bit and, and thought in your mind and tried to come to a, a conclusion about that. Don't feel bad about that. Paul even dealt with it by inspiration here in Romans 15, beginning verse 12. How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. And he says, your faith also is vain. So if the resurrection didn't happen, then your faith is in vain. It's worthless. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is, he says, worthless. Your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. If we have hope in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. So understand that Paul's putting it out there at that level. If, if the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen, you're, you're wasting your time. Your, your faith is useless. You're actually to be pitied because you've fallen for this deception. But he says it's not the case. It's not true. Because Christ has been raised from the dead. Now, remember what we said at the outset. We're not diving into the evidence of that today. Although that's really a valuable study. We've done it many times and we'll do it again in the future, Lord willing. Uh, to talk about the evidences that support the, the truth of the resurrection. We're not, we're not talking about that today. We're, we're, we're building this study on the, on the understanding that it did happen. But notice, since Christ has been raised from the dead, then what? Your faith is not vain. Your faith is not worthless. Because Jesus has been raised from the dead. And so his resurrection shows that our faith is not futile. And then... A follow-up point to that. These two points really go together. Not only our faith is not futile, our salvation is real. Those of you, of course I'm speaking to the vast majority of you this morning, but those of you who have obeyed the gospel and are Christians, disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're making some real sacrifices. There's a price to be paid to be a Christian. Even your presence here this morning is a sacrifice. You could be doing other things. You could have slept in later this morning. Uh, you could be out on the golf course playing golf. You could, uh, who knows, you could be doing anything else that you love to do recreationally. You could go fishing, you know, whatever else you like to do. You could be doing that, but you're not doing that. You're here instead. But that's, that's, that's a minor sacrifice. But there are other kinds of sacrifices that we make Because we follow Jesus, we make sacrifices. Now, my question to you is, are you wasting your time and your energy and your resources to be Christians? Is it wasted sacrifice? No, it's not. Because our salvation is real. Look look with me in Romans chapter 4. In Romans chapter 4, beginning verse 18, it references Abraham. In hope... And the context will bear out, I've, I've supplied it in the text here, but the, 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 the context will bear out that it's referencing Abraham. In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. 
He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old. But he grew strong in faith and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Notice here, we believe in him who was raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord. He was delivered up for our trespasses, raised for our justification. Notice the resurrection is in that context as well. And so, just like Abraham had faith and he acted upon his faith and he was rewarded accordingly, even so for us, because we have faith and we act in accordance with that faith when we're obedient to the things that God instructs us to do. And because, and only because Jesus was raised from the dead, delivered up for our transgressions, raised for our justification, only because of that, it indicates that our salvation is real. Uh, just like Abraham, our faith is real, and it is and will be blessed and rewarded by God. So again, our faith is not futile. Our salvation is real. Add another consideration to the list here. One of the things that we know is true, because Jesus was raised from the dead, is that we also will be raised. This is a really practical application of the, of the things that we're talking about this morning. We're talking about Jesus being raised and the fact that He was is proof that we will be too. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning verse 13, Paul writes, We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. Of course, he's talking about those who have died, right? So that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. We believe in the resurrection, right? And because of that, we know that God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Because of the resurrection, then we will be raised when Jesus comes again. So we look to a resurrection. His resurrection means that we will be resurrected. I want to make a note here. Uh, In John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, Jesus said that everybody's going to be raised, right? Uh, Those who have done good uh, unto the resurrection of the righteous and those who have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. So we understand that all will be raised when the Lord returns. But here we're emphasizing that Christians have the positive hope of a resurrection. Those who are evil don't have anything to look forward to. They're going to be resurrected and will be condemned. But for those who are, who are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, for those who have this positive hope of the resurrection, His resurrection stands as proof that we will be resurrected. Now, think about that for a minute. And as you think about that, what you realize is that points out to us that this life is not the be-all and end-all. What's happening right now? We started out our observations this morning by talking about we live in kind of troubled times. uh, Actually, scary times. But this is all temporal. This is all passing. This is not the end. As, As the people of God, we have this promise. 
that when this life is over and however it comes to an end, in whatever way it comes to an end, so you die of the coronavirus pandemic. That's not the end. So you die in the course of all this civil unrest that's taking place. That's not the end. Because all of us, all of this, if the Lord tarries, all of us are going to die one thing or another, right? This is not the be-all and end-all. There's a resurrection. However you die, whenever you die, you will be raised. And if you're a child of God, you have the positive hope of a resurrection promised in this passage and others. And the fact that Jesus rose from the dead indicates that we will also be resurrected. And so Jesus' resurrection is proof of our resurrection. And then one more point, and the lesson will be yours. This ties into the fact that his resurrection proves that judgment is certain. So we're going to be raised. All will be raised. We'll we'll be raised with a positive hope. The wicked with only an understanding of condemnation. Judgment is certain. And so it's not just the resurrection, but also a coming judgment that is proved by the resurrection of Jesus. We can be absolutely certain of it. Will there be a final judgment? Will there be a judgment in which the, right, in which the righteous are rewarded, but also those who have done all this evil will, will pay the price for the evil they, are, they have done? Will there be a judgment of God for the righteous and the wicked? Will there be a... Yes. Yes, absolutely there will be. And Jesus' resurrection proves it. In Acts chapter 17, when Paul was preaching to the idol worshipers in the city of Athens, Greece, he said in Acts 17, verse 30, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has, notice, fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he hath appointed. So he's fixed a day, he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is proof that there will be a judgment. Now, think about this as we draw the lesson to a close. Think about this. The resurrection of Jesus proves there's going to be a judgment. We already said we're not, we're not dealing with the evidence of the resurrection, but it's, it's abundant. So since Jesus rose from the dead, it's absolutely certain that there's going to be a judgment. So what does that mean for you and me? Well, for you and me, it means that we very very much need to be making preparations for that judgment. If we're not preparing for that judgment, we're making a huge mistake. Judgment is certain. It's coming. The proof of Jesus' resurrection says that it is. And so we need to be getting ready. That means if you're not a Christian yet, but you understand God's will for your life, you need to be obedient. That simple gospel plan of salvation, hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized for remission of sins, you need to do that. Because judgment's coming. There's no doubt about that. Proven by the resurrection of Jesus. Are you ready for that? If you're a Christian, but you've not been faithful to your Lord, then you're making a huge mistake because judgment is coming. It's proved. It's coming. And you need to be ready. So we want you to think about those things as we are about to sing this song of invitation. Earlier this week, Wade sent me a text and said, what's your sermon going to be about Sunday morning? The reason he did that, and he often does that, is because he tries to plan his songs along the lines of the sermon topic. And So he sent me this text. He's not able to be here today, but he sent me this text because he was planning to be here today. And he said, what's your sermon about Sunday morning? And so I just wrote back the question, what does the resurrection of Jesus mean for you and me? I didn't tell him that. I just wrote that back to him and said, 
Well, he wrote back and he says, well, it means a lot, obviously. <laughs> and, and then he wrote back immediately after, oh, that's the sermon topic. <laughs> but, but Wade was right. What does the, what does the resurrection of Jesus mean for you and me? Well, it means a lot, doesn't it? It means a lot. As we said, the, the proof of it is abundant. Uh, we can be absolutely confident he was raised from the dead and it has all kinds of implications for us. How are you reacting to these realities? If you need our help in making your life right with God, as we just mentioned a moment ago, if in any way we can help you, let us know while we stand and sing this song.